what I wanted to talk about with Louise at the top of the show is, you know, there's this whole Me Too campaign now yes. because of what happened with Harvey Weinstein. Um, and, you know, it was really strange, Louise, because when I first saw the Me Too, I said, oh, that's not me. Completely forgetting that I was raped by uh, a partner. I was almost date raped by two different men held captive for hours at a time, terrorized. Um, and a very, very famous uh, um, playwright and uh, filmmaker um, uh, was uh, abusive, uh, sexually abusive. And I thought, oh my God, I, it's me too. Do you have a me too, Louise? Absolutely, I think we tend to bury it. And I think, you know, I, I too was thinking, oh, if I type hashtag me too, people I know will think that I'm talking to them. And I'm, I'm not, because I'm fine. I mean, right. but we came up in music and in radio and there's just a lot of guys being guys and usually we handle it with humor or however but at the comedy store it crossed the line well you know why women are treated there it, it really crossed every line and so i finally typed me too and told my story i didn't I, you know i haven't told my story and i haven't outed anybody somebody got on my thread and said um everybody should just get up there and name their accuser but if i name one of my accusers i will be in physical risk you mean abusers abuser User, right? Abuser. Um, I was the user. Um, so oh, was he. You didn't but want to start no. A thing. But the thing was that if I do it, this is a dangerous person, oh, and yeah. if I out him, I put myself. Uh, and I'm a mom, and I don't want to put myself at risk. And also, these other people, like one is famous, and 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 you, what, the part that really upset me about it is that this famous person, I continued to have conversation with. I continued to ask him to do my show. And I wished him a Facebook happy birthday recently, and I thought, what the hell? And, and, and I started to then be mad at myself and beat up on myself, and then I said, wait a minute, this is what we're conditioned to do. To normalize it. Well, yes, to nor exactly, to normalize it. And it's not normal, it is not okay. What I love about this conversation is that I don't know if it's gonna change people's behaviors. I don't know if it's gonna, I, I, I think it's gonna give some people pause before they misbehave, perhaps. Um, but then I was talking with my writing partner, with Ricardo Navas, yesterday, and who's a man, and I was saying, you know, we were talking about it, and, he, and I said, well, he was saying, you know why it didn't happen, I was saying maybe, why didn't this happen when it came out with, you know, um, uh, a past people who have recently been brought, Bill Cosby, for example, why, why didn't this whole thing start then? And, and his opinion was that, because now it's famous people, happening to famous women that we all know and love. And so we feel protective of them and we take their word for it. And you know, all of, and because there's so many of them and it's, it's all, it's like it's all these Academy Award winning actresses. Mm -hmm. I mean, these brilliant artists um, are all are standing up, not mm -hmm. all, but there, so many of them are standing up. And I think that's a really good point that it becomes valid because fame is in, and celebrity is involved. That's kind of crazy and offends me on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it gives voice to the rest of us. Right, it normalizes doing the right thing, speaking out and not just accepting that, oh, this person did this and let, let's just push that aside and move on. Exactly. It's okay to say something when you feel uncomfortable or when, or when even something even worse than just feeling uncomfortable happens, God forbid, you, you should say something. So, so I, my thinking now is, 
when it's safe to, like I'm, I'm cons I think what I'm going to do with that famous person is I'm going to write to him personally and I'm going to say, I've made it okay. I've made it look like it was okay what you did. Mm -hmm. It was not okay. It, was, it wasn't okay then. It's not okay now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not to blame for the fact that I normalized it. That's just, that was, a, that was just an instinct. I'm not going to blame myself and beat myself up for it. Right. And I'm telling, I'm putting you on notice right now. I'm not threatening you, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying, you know, um, if anything if anything comes to light about you, I will speak up and say my, say what happened to me. I see. And um, I, I'm not I'm not going to out the person, but um, but I'm going to make I'm I'm going to say something because I hope it stops him from ever doing it again. But it, yeah, and it, it does feel like oh, is it my responsibility to to yeah. say his name so that other women are warned? That's just a, that's that's I a mean, murky road. That's yeah. a, that's it's you know I don't know what the answer to that is, but I do know the answer to something, and that is who our guests are tonight on the road taken. Yay! I do know the answer to that. Nice oh, Louise nice is going. Segue. Wait, I was just gonna. Right, good segue. I was nice just gonna introduce segue. them, but Louise oh, but then is going I can, to I can dramatically swing to them yes. just as you say. Their oh, names. okay. So so, <laughs> Louise, you weren't here for for women who write uh, a few weeks ago. In the house were hit makers. Judd Friedman and Alan Rich, who um, are Emmy, Oscar, Golden Globe, nom Golden Globe nominated, Run to You, Whitney Houston's huge hit. Let's talk about it. I don't have the heart, James Ingram, number one on the Billboard Hot 100. That ain't easy to do. For the first time, Kenny Loggins. Bar he's, they've written hits for Barbra Streisand, Ray Charles, Insane, Chaka Khan, Rod Stewart, Ray Charles, Tony Braxton, Leanne Reams, Tina Turner. Oh my God. I mean, these guys are complete hit makers. And what I love about them is they've had a very long-standing partnership, and they still like each other, which is adorable, which is amazing, which is miraculous. So let's have a the road taken welcome for Judd Friedman and Alan Rich. Yay! All right, so Louise wasn't clapping because she was turning the thing. So can everybody see all three of us, or do I have to... Do, we have, do I have to shift? I'll, I'll move your water in front of me. I don't need this anymore. Um, it sounds like a song title. What's that? I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. Thank you. Our <laughs> lawyers will be in touch. Uh, um, do, uh, can you see us all? People out there in Facebook land? I mean, it's do a terrible shot. Can, the two of us? Let's, let's get closer together. Let's, yeah, let's get closer we're together. We're getting close. Okay, so this one's one that has a V on it. Okay, so... Thank you for being here. It's our pleasure. Sure. We'd have more room to, to spread out if I, my camera wasn't doing really weird things, which I'll have to figure out why it's doing that. It's a music, it's a music business. You it's, have to adapt. It's, yeah. it's content. It's content. It's and so, Louise, to join us, you need to, like, I don't know what you're going to have to do. Um, but we'll, we'll hear you. Here. We'll, I we'll, haven't we'll left hear. the room. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> okay, so how long have you guys been writing together? 26 years. Oh, come on. That yeah. lasted longer than my marriage. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's scary. That lasted longer yeah. than my relationship. <laughs> All right. So, so <laughs> before we get into how the partnership started, I want to speak to each of you about how you started in, in the business. So, so, okay, let's start. Wait, you're pointing to each other. Judd, Judd, how, how, when did you start to, did you sing first? Uh, I've played music and, um, wrote little songs and sang and, and was obsessed with music from a very early age. How old? I was in the womb, actually, as far as <laughs> that's what they tell me. I, I don't know. As, always, like as long always, as you can remember. Two and three. I was writing songs and playing. I was playing piano when I was on five and six, and I was writing Lessons? Songs. 
took lessons, wanted to play baseball, wanted to be on the Yankees. I don't want no spoilers. Yes, alerts, no, no spoilers. spoilers. No I spoilers. I the game, so don't tell me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wanted. I, it was kind of like Yankees music, Hi. Yankees music. So I always played baseball. I was out there playing sports. But I played a lot of music. I didn't practice as much as I should, which is why I'm a shitty, excuse my French, keyboard player. But you're really not. That's not you, true play, at you, all. Play, you played here and you sounded wonderful, and I would, I would totally not it's say an inspired that. Keyboard I could have been a lot better, let's put it that way. But I didn't want to go. Da, 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 da. So I took a lot of lessons. Okay. But it was really all about just playing what I wanted to play. So were you playing like. So what music, what music, music. did you love? Okay. I always loved pop music. Uh, I wasn't into classical music. I'm still kind of a classical music ignoramus. I appreciate it. I like it, but I don't listen to it. Mm -hmm. I just love pop music right from the get go. So do you have like favorite songs from when you were a kid that like just rocked your world? Well, like many people mm -hmm. uh, of, of vaguely in our, in our day and age, um, it was the Beatles. Of course. Yeah. It was the Beatles and yeah. that whole 60s and 70s and even 80s. I mean, that was just incredibly inspiring to me. The whole Motown thing, the whole, the whole Mercy B, English sound, everything. I mean, that was what really killed me. Oh, I was just going to ask you a question about the songwriting, and we'll get to that after. Yeah, so, sure. do you remember what your, do you remember like one of the first songs you, you wrote as a kid? Remember any? Oh, God. I wrote a bunch of songs when I was like 10, 11, and 12, and it's, it's, but I don't remember the name. Were they pop? No. They were pop songs. I wrote everything like, you know, Elton John kind of playing the piano, and yeah, that was my thing. Always playing were piano. you ever able to bring one of those into modern day and make it a hit? Were there, was there a germ of any of that in any of your... No. I, I don't tend to go back to myself. I think which is true of a lot of creative people, especially songwriters. You, know, you write them and you kind of forget them. You put them in. That's what quack is about. We'll get to that later. But, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I never... I, I wrote a lot of songs. I still, those songs are still valid to me. You know, even when I was 18 and 19, I still have those songs. I still have demos of those songs from my early 20s. And I stuff. love I still it. love them. But, you know, I haven't adapted them for the modern. All right, so so now, okay, so you're playing music the whole time. Do you go to college? Do you go to school for it? Oh, what do you geez. do? No, I did lots and lots of education. Yeah, I went to college. Uh -huh. I went to law school. I got a law degree. Yeah, Harvard that, and Yale. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and he oh. gave it all up and to me. Now it's out. I'm finally out of Yale. I kind of keep that under wraps, but yeah, I went to to Yale undergrad and Harvard Law School. That and when is, I was in, yeah, it's cuckoo. And your mother had to be insane. Get like, something to have just in case. Yeah, but then, then when you gave it up, I mean, how long did it take from the time that you gave up law school and had your first hit record? I didn't give up law school. I finally what? finished it. No, I mean, yeah. but, but did you ever practice law? Just as, it was my waitering gig, to tell you the truth. I was able, because I looked good enough on paper until they actually got me in the office and they figured out that I was a complete bozo. But I looked good on paper, so I was able to get people to actually hire me part-time. I would work, I went to New York after I graduated law school. And I, and I worked two or three days a week, and then I would come home on Tuesday or Wednesday night and rip off the suit and go play in clubs all over New York and write songs. So I was, it was a very you schizophrenic... You a part-time lawyer? a part-time lawyer. I did not know that you could be a part-time lawyer. Well, you know, I wasn't going to court. I was, uh, I was yeah. writing briefs and doing research, and the partners were kind of like, when are you going to get over this crazy music thing? And I was like, uh, next week. Yeah, so. How long did you have that double life before you gave it up? Two or three years. And then uh, things started happening out here. That was in New York, which mm -hmm. is where I'm from. And then I moved out here. And so what? The rest is misery. What? Um, how long did it take after you moved out here until you had your first? Hit? Oh, I moved out here because I, I came out uh, because Kenny Rogers was interested in one of my songs. I came out here. I hung out with David Foster and Kenny Rogers and Michael and Marty and all these amazing people in the studio. <laughs> called my parents. I couldn't wait. I was up all night waiting until it was because of the three-hour time difference. I didn't right. want to call them too early. As soon as it hit like four in the morning, I said, "Okay, it's early. It's late enough." I called. I said, "I'm a rock star. This is awesome." And then oh five years later, we had I had my first hit, which was not his first hit, but yeah, called that out of the heart. So it took me five years. I moved out, and I thought, "That's it. I'm done." Five years later. 
Wow. It took me a few years. So now, in that five-year period, had you saved enough from lawyering that you were able to, to I was live? Still you were still lawyering. Yeah. And you were still lawyering. It was my waitering gig. Yeah. Well, I was and then I gave it up. Which, yeah, by the way, oh my God. Which, by the way, I saw Dustin Hoffman on Sunday at, at the screening for um, the Meyerowitz uh, Meyer stories. Yeah, and um, I hadn't seen Dustin Hoffman in 37 years since I waited on him at Maxwell's Plum. And I spent two hours with him that day. And he flirted with me. It was fantastic. And so I got to... Tell him the story after the screening. And uh, he said, how do you know I was flirting with you? And I said, I knew. And he said, well, don't tell my wife. because." And I said, but you aren't married. Then he goes, almost. But um, he was adorable. But anyway, uh, yeah, I had He's that good. waiter. He was amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so now, Alan, uh, yes. you, when, did you, when did music become it for you? How did it start for you? How did it start from the really early beginning yeah, yeah. with my dad? Okay. Because my dad, um, he worked in a record store as a kid. And Where? He was, um, in, in Brooklyn, okay. probably. And he always dreamed about being in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And he had a friend who became very incredibly successful in the music industry. But my dad got married when he was very young to my mom. And next thing you know, they had twins, my brother and I. I thought you were twins. And yeah, and so, and so my dad couldn't even afford one kid. And suddenly, and, then, and the doctors never told either of my parents they were having twins because they were too, my mom was 19 or going to be 19, and they felt they were too young to really tell them. So, so when. <laughs> Don't you think at that age you should especially tell well, them? So, oh, they're, my. so my, I'll tell you, so they're sitting, and they're sitting in, the, um, in the waiting room. Yeah. The doctor comes out, do you know the story? No. The doctor comes out and says, and it's my grandmother and my father. Grandma, we've got a boy for you. I'm like, oh my God, we've got a boy. Dad, we've got a boy for you. Oh my God, we've got a boy. No, the doctor says, no, Grandma, we've got a boy for you. And Dad, we've got a boy for you too. <laughs> my father got shingles. Oh, is that true? Yes. Oh my God. He didn't know how he was going to afford... How old was he? He was 19 also? No, he was, was 22, going to be 20, 23. Oh God. Working in a record store. Well, I, don't, I think he was working in the record store at that time. Mm -hmm. Anyway... Um, what happened was, I guess they felt that they needed to, my mom felt he needed to make money and he was going to have to do, so my father did other things and gave up the record business mm. um, dream. But every Sunday in this Jewish household of ours, my father um, would make us um, bullseye eggs. Yeah. You know, like sunny side, like eggs. A sunny side egg too. And then he would pull out the Victrola. Aww. And my father would, his, his eyes would light up when he would play us, mm. and we played the same songs every week. What? Um, Hush Now Don't Explain was the first Billy Holiday. Uh -huh. He would play um, Lionel Hampton. He would play uh, Lena Horne. He, Sarah Vaughan was his all-time favorite. Wow. But he would tell you every single person who played on the records. He knew all that. He loved wow. it so much. And so, I guess... Did, a young, he, did he play or sing? My father sang in the... You know, he was a good singer. Mm -hmm. And he sang in a, in a uh, synagogue choir or something. But nobody did anything professionally. It was, I'm the first person in our whole family who started, you know, nowhere. I was a waiter, and I was, and I had a weekend where, where shoe you, job. Where did you wait? I, I, wait, I waited at, oh my God, I'm having a senior moment. That's okay, what borough? Um, no, no, in I the, waited, no, I moved here. here and I moved, well, in New York, I did work at something different. Of course, you from Catch a Rising Star. Okay. I used to sing oh. a Catch a Rising Star. Pat oh. Benatar, Patti Smythe, and all the famous comedians oh. were now ultra famous. Um, and, and then, right before I moved to Los Angeles, I worked for a year and a half in um, this place called Something Different, which was a dessert place, but we had singers. In between serving the food, we'd sing songs. 
So, um, but anyway... Were you writing songs when you were a kid? Well, I was performing. I was a singer. Mm -hmm. the, you know, I was I heard you sing. You can sing. I'm, I'm going to post the no, little video. No, that's not no, me. I'm my best, no, both anyway. of you did... But um, but I was I headlined the grand finale. I was picked. I opened for Barbara Cook at the grand, at, wow. at Arena Sweeney's. I opened for Sissy Houston. She handpicked me wow. to open for her. And then eventually I headlined. Um, and this is I'll, I'll just tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. I yeah. headlined, and then um, people got interested in me, and I did a show uh, at Reno Sweeney's for the record labels, and the place was packed. Packed like you could not believe that they even had to have a bodyguard take me through the hallway to get oh to the Oh my God. It was like so crazy. And my brother said, Alan, I thought that night you were going to become a star. And I didn't get a record deal. And I. Were you singing original material? Or oh, were you singing oh, hits? No, I, I was writing songs and, and doing a couple of covers, mostly original songs. And um, I just couldn't understand with everybody hanging from the chandeliers, screaming, going crazy, that I didn't get a record deal. So I got really. I, oh. I was terribly heartbroken. And I said, I'm leaving New York. I've done all that I can here. I'm leaving and I'm coming. Just going to write songs in Los Angeles. So I moved to Los Angeles. I got a job up the block at the famous Source restaurant. That's, where, you know, with the famous restaurant. The Do Woody you know Allen. the Source? I don't, I Annie don't Hall. Know the well, it's not yeah. there anymore. Annie oh. Hall was shot there. Oh. And it was a Sikh restaurant where it was all health food. And unbeknownst to me, it was a block away from my house. But all these very famous people, um, you know, I waited on so many famous. I waited on Tom Cruise before he was famous. Went on so many people, and I Maxwell's had some great. Too. So it was the it was the Maxwell's yeah, Club. it was right by you know mm -hmm. Sunset and Suites, or so all the um, uh -huh. music people and everybody, oh, yeah, everybody would come. Right, and so um, I did that on uh, during the week, and on the weekends I had a shoe job at Venice Beach, and I mm -hmm. sold shoes. Mm -hmm. And I think you know the story, but it's a famous story in the music industry. I got discovered. I sold a record producer a pair of shoes, and it changed my life. Stop. You don't know the story? I don't think I know that. Did you tell the story? No, I don't you know. Didn't, you didn't tell, tell well, us it's the story. Well, everybody knows the music industry. I don't know this story. Tell the story. What happened was my my friend who owned the shoe stand with his Australian girlfriend, uh -huh. but he was also a songwriter, Robert and Susan. We were all lived in the same complex, and um, he I worked him on the weekends, and he sold these Australian Capizio kind of shoes, mm -hmm. the really gorgeous soft leather shoes, but all in bright colors: oranges, pinks, yellows, greens, and so all the musicians came to buy them. And he said there was a producer who came and bought 10 pair, and he said if he ever came back to the shoe stand, he would introduce me to him. And I wonder sometimes if I hadn't been there the day he was there, if my, well, if my life would be the life I had now. But anyway, I told him I was a songwriter. He asked me to send him a cassette. I sent him a cassette. Oh God, I don't go into the long details of it all, although there's a good story to tell. But seven months later, I had two gold and one platinum records. With Judd? No, Judd wasn't in the picture yet. Okay, no, so what, what were your what were your first <laughs> what were your first hits? Well, my uh, so so what happened was I had two songs on the I wrote two songs on the Patti LaBelle Winner and You record, which was her biggest record. One of them was the theme song to Outrageous Fortune and, oh and Sweet Liberty. It was in Sweet Liberty. Love that movie. Then then I he produced Gladys Knight and I wrote a number one R&B song for Gladys Knight. What song? Um, Loving on Next to Nothing. I don't know if people know it. Oh, I love my that God, song. I love that you song. Really know yes. It? Oh I'm my God. I love Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight. Yeah. Um, and so, and and then after that, he said I may be producing Barry Manilow, which I never gave any thought to because he was my idol, and I never thought that it would ever happen. And Howie Rice, the producer, discovered me, called me up, and said, 
um, picked me up in 20 minutes, we're going to Barry Manilow's house. The mm -hmm. next thing I know, I wrote three songs on Barry Manilow's RCA record. And then, you know, things started slowly happening, but I had my first hit in 1989 with, and with Pam Resnick and Steve Werfel. This Judd came into the picture soon after. But um, it's a, uh, it was a hit for Natalie Cole, and it was a big hit. It was called I Live For Your Love. <laughs> Um, and so, and, and so that so, happened. And basically you were writing music like the music your father had exposed you to well, in similar vein. I think Judd and I both love pop music, but we wrote, we both, I think what makes us so good together is we both love writing songs that move and touch people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you can write for women, which is extraordinary. Well, we'll talk about that because that's extraordinary. So, and then, so that was 1989. I met you after, right after that, that yeah. song. Okay. So how did you guys meet? You can tell the story because I... Uh, well, we have slightly different. Uh, but I think versions of meeting. We have slightly different versions of meeting. I think we met in that the Plato's retreat. That, Plato's <laughs> no, no, no. We were. I've never I, been I, there. I believe. No, I, neither I. Either I don't even know where that came from. Uh, so we, I think we had met once or twice just to say hello at events. Okay. But I don't recall we, that. I, okay. We were very close friends with a woman named both of us individually. We were very close friends with a woman named Kathy, Kathy Stamberg, who's the head of Pure Music and a brilliant publisher and a fantastic woman. And she had been saying, they were interested in, they were starting to work with me as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And she was saying to me, you know, there's this other writer named Alan Rich, I think, I just have a feeling the two of you guys would really gel. And, that's and she was saying that to him. So he, I, I was living, I was in between places, I was... Wait, let know. me interrupt for a second. Had either of you written with other people prior to this? Oh, yes. that's you, all you, 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 yeah, yeah. A you, lot of I people. Was, I was okay. writing with other people, but mainly kind of writing on my own, actually. I, I okay. write lyrics on music and do everything, so... But I was writing with other people too, and just mm -hmm. kind of exploring and seeing, you know. And and one day I get this phone call uh, from her office, and and she apparently had said to Alan, "Do I have?" I, she says, so, "When are you going to get together with John?" And well, he said, "Well, uh, I have the beginning of this." No, she, I think she said to me, "See, how <laughs> six years of this?" Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I think she said to me, she "I have this writer I'm about to sign, and it, and I really think you two of you would have something special." Do you have anything, any lyric for me? Uh -huh. So I said, I have a verse and a chorus or something, but I don't want to give it up until I write the next verse. Mm -hmm. She said, oh no, you're... Well, that's because it had been a while that she'd been trying to get us together. So I get this phone call, uh -huh. and it's Alan, it's Kathy, and she says, I'm Here's putting Alan. Alan on the phone. I gave her a verse and a chorus. I, I only have a little bit of this song, I verse and, and I'm chorus, living so. in, I'm, I'm in between places at the time. Uh -huh. All I had was a little keyboard, hooked up to a stereo system. Nice. That's all I had to work with uh -huh. at that point because I was awake, I, I didn't have my studio. Uh -huh. So I get this phone call, listen, I have this idea for a song and I reverse the course, I'm going to read it to you. And it was, I don't have the heart. True. So I heard this lyric, which was his lyric, and, and the first person chorus. I hear this thing and I said, I almost fell off my chair, it was so brilliant. I don't know, if you don't know the song, I don't have the heart mm -hmm. to love, to hurt you. It's so, the last thing I'd want to do. But I don't have the heart to, to love, love you, you, not the way you want me to. And I just went, oh, Goodbye, I'm going to go write this. 15 minutes later, I had the music. Oh, I kind of played around with the lyric a little bit. I chopped a couple of things. I wrote the verse and chorus. And I called them back and I said, Alan, I think I have something. And we got together and six days later, was it six we days later? finished the rest of the song together. Right. So within six days, we had the demo and we sent it out. And okay, I have a question for you guys. I, I, have, I have a theory that in life, the things that are right are smooth and easy. For the most part. And the things that are arduous and difficult, and, and that's, I mean, I spent 13 years writing my book. I mean, it took me forever, and I, I'm proud of it, but, mm -hmm. but the things that seem to just come, and that roll freely, and that take 15 minutes or whatever, have you found, like, do you guys suffer over songs 
if like you got you have a good start and then it's not work like does it go smooth and easy for you when it's right? You want to take that? No. Okay. Well, you know, I thought you were going to ask us about just the, the writing relationship, so I'll answer both well, questions. Well, the one we'll you didn't ask. But the thing is, the writing relationship mm -hmm. with Alan and me. Um, I just was speaking at a summer event the other day, and I was telling people that they were asking me about collaborations, and mm -hmm. I said, I, re I think it's just like dating. You go out with a lot of people, and people who look on paper, they look fantastic. Because we've sat with people who look fantastic and are fantastic. And we work with a lot of fans. And you people. sit there like this. Uh, nothing's happening. But with Alan and me, oh, the two of you together have sat with other yeah, yeah, artists as well. Sometimes you go uh -huh. out with yeah. other people, uh -huh. artists, artists, and we know they've written amazing songs, but mm -hmm. nothing happens. But with mm -hmm. him and me, right from that first phone call, there was this amazing chemistry, like that first date where you just look across and you go, oh "My God!" And the first, and it didn't stop. And the first just, song we wrote was number one. That was a pop song. Yeah. The second song was "I Just Had to Hear Your Voice," which is Alita Adams, and that was number one um, adult contemporary song. And and um, I mean, we would, I would get goosebumps half the time. I, you know, Judd always calls me his emotional Geiger counter because Judd's <laughs> always behind him. He's always doing the, the uh, producing in the studio. Right. And so sometimes he's so close to it, he can't hear certain things mm -hmm. that might be. But, but I, I always have a goosebump factor, and so does Judd. And we, we is have that a lot your barometer for when yeah. something yeah. is right? If something's mm -hmm. touching us and moving us, then, then we're going to finish it. If it's not, we just go, nah, it's not. That's Nobody another theory that I have. Like, if I can make myself laugh, I know it's funny. Then you gotta right? If I if I make myself cry, I know it's funny. But, but let me just tell you something. Some of the biggest successes we've had have looked easy, but ended up being difficult. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. The, the, not even so much the song, but the, process. the, the logistics yeah. of till it comes to fruition, till it, you know, so like with run to you. Okay, so where can you get stuck? Tell us. Well, well, the business process. Correct. Well, forget, that's, well, that's after the artistic. Okay. Oh, you mean the writing part? Yeah, and I'm talking about in the writing part. We don't get stuck too badly. We've had songs that have taken us, you know, we, we put away. I'll give you an example of one. This was actually, oh. it's a combination of not stuck, stuck. Okay. We wrote a song called uh, For Ray Charles. Okay. Um, oh, my God. And it was, hmm. and we didn't know we were writing for Ray Charles at the time, but it ended up being recorded by Ray Charles. It could have been recorded by Aretha Franklin. That's Clive Davis wanted it for her, but the wow. timing didn't work out. He had written this lyric called So Help Me God. I wrote the whole the lyric that time. He wrote a whole lyric. But most of the right. time, yeah. you know. You do it together. And, 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 he's, now and I do. read the lyric and I said, this is brilliant. But I just, you know, a God song. I don't know if I want to do a religious sure. song. And it's I'm not little, something Jews usually do. It's, well, you know, they, they all when they write Christmas songs. <laughs> so, all the big Christmas songs. Jewish. Is that, is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. White Christmas? White, yep. Yep. Who wrote White Christmas? Oh, God. Who wrote White Christmas? I don't know. We'll have to Google, Google it. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll have to Google it. it. I'm embarrassed. I know, but I can't remember. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. so he, I carried this lyric mm -hmm. around in my briefcase for six months, I think. And I got home one night, and my... You mean nothing was coming to music? No, he didn't want to work on it. He said, I don't really want to... Oh, he said, oh, my God. Oh, okay. So help me God. Who's going to record a song with God in the title? Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, and it's... Brilliant concept. The concept of the, this is a total Alan thing. It was a double meaning. Please help me, God. It's been I, I've, I'm lost and I can't find my way. Um, so I'll tell. I know what it is because I wrote it about myself. Okay, go ahead. Um, I am lost. I've been led astray. Once again, I need your light and love to lead the way. I know I don't deserve it, but I promise it's the end. If you rescue me just one more time. You'll never have to do it again. I just got goosebumps. Here's, here's the hook. Right. Okay. So, so help me, God. So, so help me, God. God. 
So help me. So help I got you. So you so we had to so we ended up having the music that I came up with had to somehow communicate with double meanings. So he, he, I'm carrying this around my briefcase, you know, not consciously thinking about it at all, honestly. Right. right. I got home one night, and uh, my then wife was cooking dinner, and we had a little home studio. Mm -hmm. I usually work with the Pure Music Studio. And I said, I said, when are we eating? She said, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I said, I, I'm going to go in the studio. I just feel like something's happening. Don't tell me you wrote this music took, in 10 minutes. I took the lyric. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, I promise. <laughs> but I, I had this lyric. I used to carry on that that I don't remember it. Briefcase. Like, they're from so my cute. lawyer they're days. They're so cute. Right? Aren't they cute? They're so cute. <laughs> well, he is a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> I had this old legal briefcase that I used to put all my lyrics and junk in from studio to studio, and I took this lyric out. Something made me take it out. with a tattoo, by the way. I just noticed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. My, yeah. my now wife said, Stacy, love you. She said, you must be a truck driver. He can't be Jewish. She has a tattoo. Right. That's when, before we met, she had scoped me out of the gym. <laughs> so um, I took the lyric out and I put it on the keyboard and I wrote the song. I wrote the music and started singing and I called Alan. Before dinner was done? Before dinner. And I called Alan and I said, Alan, you know that song? You... And he would, oh, once a month or so, he'd go, what's up with so help me God? And I'd go, oh, so help me God, I don't know, it's God. I don't. You know. Wait. I wrote the song and I, I called him and I played it. I think I played it. I don't remember. I said, I got something. And this is what Ray Charles recorded? Yes. Oh God, I have to go Google that. Oh, yeah. YouTube that. Oh my, uh, I just yeah. was saying, oh my God. Anyway. Um, I, Whitney I, was supposed to, plenty, we've been stuck plenty of times where we yeah. put something aside and then we come back. And but you know, I, I believe that that's another thing that I, I have a theory about is that when I'm not working on something like if I have something that I need to write mm -hmm. and I just put it aside and don't think sometimes. about it. Yeah. When I'm in the shower, I do my best writing Always, I have to yeah. keep a pad and by the because all of a sudden it'll come, it'll come to me. I do my best writing when I'm uh, uh, um, looking in the rack in Macy's. You know? Really? Yeah, I look. Yeah, but I'm looking. Well, it's like the bathroom break. You always, yes, you I love break the bathroom break. Your bridge always through because, because the bathroom. You, yeah. We're really stuck. You go to the bathroom, you come out. I've got it. Yeah, it's true. It's always well, the yeah. when you take the pressure off. Or yeah. so when you let something go, something yeah, yeah. goes. Ah, make room for it. Can we edit that out? No, I, that's no, my favorite. Like, <laughs> oh, we come back, you know, we're sitting in the, in the bathroom and you come in and go, how's about this? What do you think about this? Because you get get these angles, you know. You walk away for a second. And, this, and, yes. I'm gonna be, and also sometimes, this is really true, Judd has no idea about this. But sometimes I would go in the bathroom in Judd's house and look in the mirror and scream, oh my God, I can't come out. Yeah. I have no, I am, I, I'm not getting it. I have nothing. I, really, I would scream in the bathroom, oh my God, I'm not coming out. I can't, I just can't come up with it. Um, and that's really the truth. Uh, how many times in that bathroom I thought, I'm not coming out. I'm just, I'm, no, just... I'm not coming out. <laughs> well, I did a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, okay, so, wow. Okay, so uh, what I love about your relationship is that it's like the best, it, it's like the best of marriages because I don't, you know, once contempt creeps into a, a, a marriage, you know, any kind of marriage, it's over, right? All of a sudden, there's no more respect, you know, there's little digs, there's one-upping each other, there's it's none tough. of that yeah. here. It's like really beautiful between you two. And, you know, and, the, and, Thank you. and yeah. you know, the thing about Judd, which I admire, which is not who I am. And the way that you respect each other and always like saying lovely things about each other. Well, yeah. because I really feel that way about him. Um, but, but you know, if Judd has something he needs to say to me, mm -hmm. he will say it to me. 
And he, but he will not say it, he doesn't say it in a mean way. He'll say, you know, I want you to know you just hurt my feelings, or he wants you to know that really, really upset me what you just said. I am a person who holds, so I, I, I speak, I talk a lot, but I hold things in. You put it in your lyrics. And I have a very hard time if something bothers me with Judd. I, I try to, but mm -hmm. I, so, and that's my own shortcoming because I do that in my own, in other areas of my life. But, um, and I tried to, because Judd does it so easily, I try to do it. What sign are you? Cancer. But we really, honestly, in our 26 years, we've had very, very, knock on wood, yeah. Very few real instances. We have really. Okay, so let's talk. Let, let's talk about the business a little bit because this show, the road taken. Yeah. No, the only reason why I want to talk about it is because you can you can be helpful sure. to us. Okay. Um, because what the show is, the road taken, is uh, how celebrities have successfully managed to merge creativity and commerce. Because there are many of us out that are still. I, do, I am doing what I love. I love this so much. I love women who write. I love writing. I love it so much. Making money, pishka, you know, like crap. Yeah. Literally, my mother says, you know, you'd make more money driving for Uber. It's the truth. She says that to me all the time. So, so you guys had hits right away, but I, I have to think that there were periods in your career where, I mean, By the way, I didn't have hits right away. Okay. I told you, it took me eight years. Took me years. years. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was a waiter for many, many yeah. in years in New York, and and uh, it, it took me two. I was fortunate that it, I came there, and uh, and in two years, started, something started to happen. You know. Well, but. is there anything you can you can you can share with us? I mean, I know you, you just kept doing it till you till you till it happened for you. But do you have any tools? Do you have any business tools? that you use, like how do you navigate just the insanity of the music business and the ever-changing music business? Yeah. Um, because you guys have, have been around a long time and having hits, 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 I mean, I would imagine there have to be periods I'm imagining where it's dry for a while or... Oh, yeah. It's not easy now. It's, it's terrible. Uh, right, and now it's, it's horrible. Now. Not easy yeah. now. Okay, so let's talk about now, like sure. how you're navigating the business now. Like for instance, you've started Quack. So, what, tell us what Quack is about. Well, yeah, before I get okay. into that, you, 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 you. you lead the interview. Oh, just, no, 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 sorry. no, 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 because no, I don't want, I, I don't want to, be no. all, to be all about me, but for I both of it. us, it's okay. no, no, for both of us, um, the music business has changed so dramatically mm -hmm. um, because of digital and for many reasons. But the, and it's changing for, for those of you out there who are actors, filmmakers, it's, 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 everything it's is changing. changing. It's always right. changing. For us, we've, Honestly, we don't write the way we used to. We used to go to the studio mm -hmm. every day. Five days a week for yeah. 10 years. And sometimes on weekends when we needed to. Every day we get there in the morning and work all day. Okay, when now we, come on. I, I asked you this when you were here last month. You can't always be, I mean, you, you always, like I sit down with my partner, we schedule all this writing time, and I mean sometimes we're both on our phones because it takes well, us a half hour till we could even sure. begin. Well, we would have, I'm not saying we were writing songs for eight hours. I mean, okay. we were, you have to make do business, you do demos, we're making calls. Oh, I see, you you're doing meeting. all your business. We're doing everything, but okay. we were in the studio, when I say in the studio, the office okay. studio. And, we and working, we were working all the time. We were, as I said at, at, uh, um, at, at the show that we had in your mm -hmm. lovely home. Um, Which is this. <laughs> from another end? You know, from we were end. very fortunate because Pure Music was in the, Pier Mansion, and we had Judd was given a beautiful 
we had a office, yeah. Econo office, and mm. we we spent ten years living like we were. I mean, we'd go out to lunch every day and stuff because it was a yeah. Sunset Strip. But we we our off, Judd's office was in the middle of this gorgeous mansion with mm. fantastic grounds. We could walk around if we if we needed to think. Did we you do that? Think. Yeah. Sure. Oh, but but we were very lucky because we lived. You know, we didn't have we didn't have a lot of money when we started mm. writing, but we were surrounded by it. We always felt like. It was a special environment. Yes. It was very, very inspirational. But um, what's happened at this point in our careers is mm -hmm. that we write really kind of on demand because it's become so impossible. This isn't the songwriting. So it's giving, tell us how that works. So what happens? How does how do, how do you how are you demanded? What happens? Well, yeah, we're demanding actually. Okay. No, the, it used to be that we would write because we felt all the time and work on songs all the time. We always were in the middle of a song. Always. We mm -hmm. never, there was never a time when we weren't writing something or some things. But um, that was because we felt that if we came up with something really special, there was a chance. The door was still very shut. It was always this incredibly competitive business. For anybody mm -hmm. out there trying to be in the entertainment, it's really, really hard. I mean, there's nothing easy about it. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, in the 80s and even 90s and, and early 2000s, if we were writing things that we felt were really special, we felt like the door was open this much and possibly we could find a home for it. That's changed now. As an outside songwriter, it seems to us at least, unless you are part of the project. Or you're you, part of the production, you know, you know the producer has their writers. Or the record company, or the management team, or the artist, or you're related to the artist, or you're the artist's dog, or whatever. <laughs> There's, it's almost impossible to come in from outside and to get a song, no matter how good it is. Like we could write Imagine and Yesterday every day and nobody would ever hear them. So what we've done at this point in our careers, when you say how do you get demanded, it's more a matter of like keeping your ear to the ground. And projects come our way. You know, we hear about things. We met with Clive Davis a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Clive, they, they just did a, they just did a record. He just did a record with Johnny Mathis. And Babyface produced it, and he executive produced yeah, it. And wow. Called, yeah, and, and it's called the Great. Amer the great, great new American, American songbook, and they did a version of Run to You. Yeah, and so he called us up and said, "Come listen to your version of Run to You." We yeah. recorded it with Do you John. Love it? It's beautiful. Yes, it's incredible. Beautiful. And then yeah, they, they did it at the presentation at the Grammy Museum, and it was really, really Aww. special. It was really cool. So we met with him, and we said, "What else are you working on?" So he said, "We're working on this record, and we can't tell anyone." Yeah. So, yeah. But it's Jennifer Hudson. So he, and he said. Give me something for Jennifer Hudson. So, so we that wrote, situation, we, we wrote, so I don't know, wrote a song and we, we sent it off to him. We don't know Clive. We haven't heard from him. But that oh, kind of a situation, this. right? That kind of a situation. Or we get, I, I'm signed to Warner Chapel, and uh, they might, they, and, and that wasn't actually through them. It was through you, I think. We heard of a, we, were, we were connected with an Italian artist. Oh. Because we oh, had which a, I, should, I should tell that story, because yeah, it's sure. such a, yeah. It's a, such an unbelievable story. Because most of the things that have happened in my life have happened in some crazy way. This is the truth. I was I had rescued a dog. Yeah, the shoe story is fantastic. But yeah, I had yeah. rescued a dog. Okay. And uh, well, this is well, uh, this was after the fact. After we had a number one record in Italy, we, we had a big hit in Italy. And, and, so, and, and so I'm walking this dog, which I ended up unfortunately he was had a behavioral problem and I had to give him back, but I do have another rescue that I love with everything in me. But anyway, I'm walking the dog for the first time and across the street, directly across the street, maybe two hours down, I see a couple, a new couple on the porch. And a nude? A new. New. They had just moved okay. in. I was wondering what kind of neighborhood they, they this was. They also were nude. Yeah. And so I said, hi, welcome to the neighborhood, you know, being friendly. Nice. And, they, and I hear they have an accent. I said, oh, are you French? And they said, no, we're Italian. I said, oh, really? 
I said, and he comes over to talk to me and he says, really? I said, yeah. He said, we're, we're from Italy. I said, oh, well, my writing partner and I just had a number one song in Italy. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so this is incredible. This is, so he said, oh, really? Who was it with? I said, this woman named Giorgia Tordorani. And he said, well, what was the name of the song? I said, La Amore Con Conta. He said, well, I'm the record producer. Stop that right now. In Los Angeles. Stop that right now. 13 million people. Right? And so then he hooked us up with another project. We had a big hit so then he with this girl, Elisa No Hero, because of him. And then we had another song on Giorgio Todrani because of him. Yeah. So his name is Michele and um, Canova. Canova. And, and uh, it just happened. I can, that's my whole career is like those crazy All right, I have, stories. I have, to I, have, I have a takeaway right here, and, and I'm not saving it for the end because I might forget it. So one of the takeaways from, with you guys for me is be nice. Mm. Have your heart open. Walk your dog. Walk your dog. Good, Louise. Walk your dog. No, but it, to me, it really sounds like you've always got your eyes, your heart, and your mind open, you guys. That's true. So that opportunities are not getting past you. You seem to really be seizing the day, every day. And it's also, it's fortitude and it's perseverance. I mean, the fact that you went in every single day, nine to five, and did your job. And we it's weren't. not just like we artists who no, are we doing weren't. it when it's right. We weren't hanging out partying in the studio. Listen, just I, the way for a lot of and people. I'll tell you, and, and you know, back to the shoe story for a moment. That record producer, I had, I worked my two jobs, but I went to his house every night for a year and a half, you know, three or four nights a week at three o'clock in the morning because he worked in the middle of the night, and I, I knew that I. I had to seize that opportunity. So I would get out of my pajamas and I'd go to his house three or four nights a week. Just, and that's how all those songs happened. If I had not gone there and I pushed myself, I forced. It's I, just like pushing yourself out of the bathroom. It's like yeah. you don't want to get out of the bathroom. No, and probably some people would say, I'm going home. Yeah. But you didn't. You Judd, and Judd, you know, something about Judd as well. Because Judd is very, he's funny. And he, we're very different personalities. Mm -hmm. Judd is definitely a Harvard and Yale graduate. He's got really fantastic work habits. What sign are you? Capricorn. He okay. has fantastic work habits. Me, <laughs> me, I have a bit of ADHD or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. And so we could be, I can't sit in the room for more than, just for more than two or three hours. So Judd says to me, I know Alan, you put it's in a very day. long day today, you put in day. three hours, I know it's a long day. And you asleep most of the time. That's true, and I would sleep after you. Could, you I would fall asleep <laughs> half the time, and even during recordings. <laughs> I'm like, what do you think? It's true. No, it's true. That, you ask half the people, half the people who we work with or record with. I was asleep through half of it. That's hysterical. Cheating spitball. Um, you know, no, but but I did the work I, I had to do. But you know, um, that's because you were up till three in the morning with the thing. That's with the true. This is when we're working. Yeah. But but also, you know, um, the thing is that at times I did not want to stay, and Judd would tell me, "Stay in, you know, another hour. Come on, let's try." And we. Many I hate to say it, we would many times we yeah. had a breakthrough. Yeah. And so sometimes I hate, there are moments when I finally say, okay, I'm, I'm the person who always says, um, are we ready for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Yes, because I, you know, I can't sit there. So for basically the fighting with Alan is you get together at, at 10 o'clock. He falls asleep and he, he eats He falls asleep at 10.15. He wakes up to go to the bathroom at 10.30. And he doesn't want to come out. out. For about three hours. Then he says, let's go to lunch. Then he leaves. So. Yeah. yeah. But, then he goes, know, I like that. I think that's good. Let's work on it tomorrow. But, but no, but you know, many a time, some of the great work we did was from staying that extra hour. It's true. 
I love that. That's true. So, so okay. Before we go, but I didn't want to, by the way. When you want to, you push, but you push through. Like bonus time, also. You kind of like, oh, we've you know we've done the work now. We've gotten as far as. Let's give it another fifteen minutes. Then you kind of let your guard down, and you're thinking, oh, we're not going to get anything done now. We're done. And then you write something great. I love that bonus time because the pressure is off. Yeah, right? it's like exactly. it's like taking that break, going exactly. to the bathroom, coming back. Let's just hang out for another fifteen minutes and see what happens. Boom. When you're not trying many so times, hard, I like times. that. That's another great takeaway. Many when times. you're not trying that hard, that's when stuff comes. I love that. Um, so, so before we get to quack, is there anything, any advice you have for it? not just songwriters but artists out there who are either starting out or struggling to to figure out how or how to get to that? Wait, what? Yeah, we, we've got we've got ten minutes, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about quack, but but I want to talk about. Um, like, do you work with young songwriters at all? Do you sure. do you mentor and sure. and do oh, that? Yeah. We talk to songwriters all the time. We give advice. And I mentor at Musicians Institute on Monday. Judd, I used to, yeah. yes. And Judd did a seminar. You did it. You didn't you speak there? Yeah, yeah. But I I've been there for several years. I um I'm a mentor on Mondays from three to five. All the young students, and occasionally there's a kid or two. You know that I go, wow. You can see, but but here's the same. You know the famous. I was in a staff songwriting workshop when I first came to this town. I signed my first deal with Welk Music. And there was a, a ASCAP. I was with ASCAP originally, and they were very good to me. Mm -hmm. um, but they put me in this ASCAP songwriting workshop, and there must have been 100 staff songwriters. And I would, I said, this is true. I would look around the room and go, I wonder who's going to become famous. <laughs> who's going to become famous? And the person sitting in the furthest seat, all the way in the back, who never said one word, was Diane Warren. She could Louise not be further that. back. She could not be further back, and she never said a word. Wow. Well, else was and, and so you weren't. You didn't pick her to be the one. You well, I would have never. I never guessed that Diane. But Diane, she didn't say much. But her work ethic and her drive. Oh, yeah. Still today, if you know Diane, yeah. she is as hungry as she as the first day you ever wow. um, met her. Wow. And. Um, but I would have never guessed there were other people who were much more gregarious, much more right. made, made this, uh, themselves known. Um, I'm not saying they wouldn't become successful, but you just can't go by that because you just don't know who behind the scenes has that that fierce competitive, you know, and that magic something. And, you, and can, so when when you're mentoring, can you see that in in people? Yeah, but I I do. But sometimes I think this, this this one kid, you know, I think about, and he plays me these crazy songs, so crazy, and I think to myself. He, they're just crazy enough to be his, <laughs> you know. You know that, that's you know what I mean. Yeah. And so, but I, you can't. Write, I always say this: you can't write anybody off. Yeah. Because you just never know. You don't know. I mean, especially yeah. these kids that are putting stuff up on YouTube and yeah. like, and they just have personality. So the young kids love it, and they get yeah. they go viral with yeah. like yeah. a song that you'd never think would go viral. Listen, I just want to say one thing because. I don't know how much time we have left, but I really do want you to talk about Yes, quack. we're going to talk about Quack now. We, we have, we have no, we've got to give advice to people out there. Okay, okay. so do you have, do you have 30 seconds to say? of advice? Okay. Yeah. Write from the heart. Write stuff you love. That We talked about this before that moves and touches you. Whatever kind of writing you're doing, don't try to write like somebody else. Mm -hmm. Learn from other people. Adapt. The music business, every business changes. The entertainment business is constantly growing and, and modifying itself and, and cannibalizing itself. But write stuff that you love. If, if you don't write something you love, you're just a hack. And, and nobody else is going to love it. It's got to move and touch you, and that's, 
that's always been our touchstone. So when you guys write, for the most part, I know it probably changes with different projects, but are you writing songs and then presenting them to artists, or are you writing specifically for artists sometimes? Both. And so, both. These days, as I said, it's more project-based. It's more like we're connected with an artist to write See, something for them or with them. So. And I, I always tell my students, you know, you can't be trying to be Mariah Carey. Your goal is to find your own unique voice. Your own, the, the way you say something, you know, if you say something in a cliche way, and I write very simply, I'm mm -hmm. not a fancy lyric writer. Uh -huh. I wish I was more fancy, but I'm not. I write conversations, and so when you read my lyrics down the page, it sounds like you're coming out of your mouth, but it's not anything, you know, I, I, some of these songs I hear that are so amazing, but I tell the kids that they have to find their own unique way of saying something. If you, you, the, you know, if you can use the cliche, twist it so that you say it in a way that it's fresh from your mouth. Um, and, and also, you have to know who you are. Yes. You have to discover who you are and really stay, tr stay true to that. Because that's, you know, listen, Barbara Streisand could have succumbed to the pressure of having a nose job. Absolutely. But she was steadfast and she knew who she was. And she brought everybody to her. And she created a whole new kind of beauty. And that's it's, how we if you, it's like every great artist. Look at Dylan. Look, listen how Dylan sings. I know. But he's never changed who he is. No. He's just no, who he is, he's right? Patty yeah. Smith. I mean, like, they're, they're people they're that are just... Yeah. They're artists. Yes. They're authentic. Exactly. You yes. have to be authentic. There you, you go. Strive for you know, when Jed and I have ever written a song that has been a little... You know, we, we try not to. We really write from our heart. But once in a while, there might be a song where we're trying to write like a song. Like we've never, We've never ever copied another song. We don't like to no. do that at all. Right. But, but we can hear when something has really, has a little, and people say to us all the time, oh, that sounds like a Judd and Allen song. Right, right. People say that to us. Mm -hmm. And I take that as a very big compliment. And sometimes we haven't written the song, but I can understand where, they think, where they think we uh -huh. have. But, uh, because Judd and I really strive to put our own indelible mark, him musically and me, even if it's a twist in the last line or a twist in the first line, doing something that, um, that will, people will identify and say, hey, that's something special. I love that. I love that. Okay, so now, uh, t tell us about Quack. Quack is uh, a songwriter, an app dedicated to revealing the hidden gems of great songwriters and all and up and coming songwriters as well. Uh, in keeping with some of the discussion we've had tonight, there's a lot of there's, there's as we were explaining to you before, trying to create songs and then find homes for them right now is virtually impossible. So Alan and I and many other great songwriters out there have. For every one of our run to use, we've got 10, 20 other songs we really feel just as strongly about and love just as much. I love that. And no one's ever heard them. Not because they're bad songs. Right. We think they're just as good as run to you, mm -hmm. and certainly in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But because the nature of the business is supply and demand, even back in the day and certainly now, right. there's just not enough, there, there aren't enough artists making enough records. So, you know, Rihanna's in the train is leaving the station and she's going, oh, I love that song, but I'm done with the record. So, you know, call me in two years. And then you're a songwriter, you've written that, that's your baby today, you throw it into the pile and you go on to the next song. So I just had this idea that there's a, there are a lot of great songs out there that no one's ever heard. And songwriters are getting just killed in the digital streaming market. Right. Um, so I was, I'm always trying to think a little bit outside of the box, ways that we can kind of leverage ourselves and brand ourselves and market ourselves and make a little money, hopefully monetize what we do. So there's all these great songs out there that nobody's heard, they already exist. Let's put them out. Let's find a way. Let's use digital streaming to our advantage instead of getting killed by it. 
Okay, so now how does it work for the consumer? So I'm a consumer, and I, right. I love your music, so right. I want to go right. hear some of your gems. Right. So I go to Quack, and what do I do? You get the Quack app mm -hmm. on the App Store, Okay. and the hook is, it, there are all sorts of different ways to search for songs, but we have all these curated playlists by great songwriters, and also by up-and-coming songwriters. It's a songwriter community. We're not exclusive. We're inclusive. We want everyone to join. We want all up-and-coming great songwriters. Anybody's so now, good. So now and do spell I, quack, so people do, who are listening. Yes, yeah, spell quack. Q-W-A-Q-Q. -Q -Q. I couldn't even figure out how to say yeah. it when I yeah. saw that. And how do you submit your song to quack? Well, as a songwriter, you just go to quack.com, Q-W-A-Q-Q.com, and sign up. It's very, very simple. I'll, and, I'll put the, uh, yeah. the link on, on the, the as, podcast. And, and for songwriters, you just kind of create your own little hidden gems a, a couple of different pages for your hidden gems, for your credits, for your releases. Sometimes, for, for example, in the case of Run To You, we uh, have what's called an API with iTunes, so you can, we can play 30 seconds of the record next to our demo. Because uh -huh. the beauty of this is that the songwriters and the publishers own the demos themselves. So we can put them up and we can pay royalties. 100% of all the royalties can go to the songwriters and the publishers instead of this much, which is getting paid by Spotify and Apple Music, which I love. They're great, they're great systems. They're great places to find music. But songwriters and publishers are getting killed in us. Okay, so now me as the consumer, yeah. I want to go on and I want to check out some songs. Okay, my, do I pay for the app? Nope, it's free. It's okay. free to songwriters, it's free to you. You open the app, the first page will give you a million possible songs and playlists to listen to. And now I want to buy you can search. Song. Nope, no buying. There's no downloading. So it's how all are you guys streaming. making money? Well, it's based on, just like all, all streaming like, services. Like, uh, all of them are based on advertising premium. We don't have a premium service yet because we're just a startup. Right, so right. We can't ask people to plunk down $5 a month for something they don't know. There's right. no brand yet. Right, right. So right now it's all dependent on advertising revenues, but that's irrelevant to the consumer. It's totally right. free to anybody who loves I music. Love this. Anybody who loves Whitney Houston, anybody who loves Eminem and Celine Dion, and everybody, we have Jay-Z and Beyonce. All these writers of their songs are wow, on Quack. Wow. So you go to Quack and you can click on any of the names of those artists and you can go to this magical mystery tour of all the great writers who That's created so them. phenomenal. And find out all these cool war stories and see videos. And, and plus, I and love B-sides anyway. I'm like a B-side person. And these I, are B-sides that could have been A-sides. Exactly. And thing, I, I love, you know, uh, on Sirius, there are a couple of stations that, that play the, the cuts that you didn't hear. That's, and that's those are the ones I want to hear, right? The hits. I'm, you get sick of them. Well, I love the hits, but... Yeah. Oh, we have to wrap it up because we're, we're like there. But so anyway, I'm I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna put the links so that uh, everybody can get on Quack. Please, if you're an come artist, check us out. if you're an artist, you can upload. You you, you yeah. figure out with Judd how Very to simple. how to uh, upload your music. And if you're a consumer, we can go there and listen to great tunes. Um, I adore you guys, and <laughs> even more this time because I feel like we really had time to sit down and really get into Thank it. You. Um, and uh, and I'm also going to put up the link to when you were at Women Who Write because uh, they played uh, and sang a few of their songs, which was amazing. But um, thank you so much for being Thanks here. Until um, next time. Um, okay. Yeah. So we'll see you next week. Bye, um, everybody. Thanks for watching. Taken.